we're going to look at some examples in the scripture where people didn't know a whole lot. But what they did know is this is what Jesus did for me. And Jesus commanded them to talk about it. Told them to go back and tell people about it. You know, the Bible says, don't let many of you become teachers. Now, in Hebrews 5, it says you should all be teachers by now. So you judge that how you want. But it, we're not all called to teach everybody. There's different people called to be teachers, just as there are evangelists and preachers and prophets. But we're all called to carry this message of the gospel. And you're called to glorify God in whatever way you can, in whatever way, in every opportunity you get. You're called to glorify God. And one of the best ways to glorify God, here's the deal. He doesn't need marketing. He doesn't need PR. Do you know why? Because you, you can't make him out to be better than he already is. He's so good that you can't oversell it. So you don't need to try to sell it. You can just say, it works. He is good. And his mercy endures forever. We talked about on Wednesday night, there was a scripture that we read from. It says, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And you know, we've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And we can now say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. This is not something we're putting on. Taste and see. Just try. Just see for yourself. He is good. In Romans chapter 15. Romans deals with some issues that are very important to us. Romans deals with salvation. Romans deals with unity. Um, one of the things that came, comes up a lot in this book is the tension between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And this book is one of, the, one of its purposes to show that under Jesus Christ, they all became one family, and they all became equal un, in the Lord. They, they all became one in the Lord. And so in the book of Romans, there's this emphasis on that Jesus Christ made us, the Gentiles, now the seed of Abraham, along with the Jews, that we all were part of one family, and uh, in Christ, we're saved through him by grace, through faith, and so this is, a, this is a cool thing, but in Romans chapter 15, he's explaining it again, and he's using Old Testament scripture to emphasize what he's saying, and in verse 4, he says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus, Christ Jesus. That's important. Because people can get on the same page and be wrong, right? I mean, there's plenty of cults in the world that prove that. Unity is not perfect in itself. Just because you all agree doesn't mean you're right, right? So we could sacrifice a lot for unity, or you can say, let's be of one mind according to Christ Jesus. So one mind, not just with each other, but let's, let's agree with him first and foremost. So then it says, so whether you're Jew or Gentile, get on the same page. You're all to be of one mind according to Christ Jesus. And he says, so that there's a purpose for us all getting together. And here's the purpose. With one accord, you may, with one voice, don't you love that? One voice. With one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's big. And I'll tell you why it's big. Because we know that we glorify God with our actions and our lives, and we know we glorify God in different ways. But here, 
he's talking about how to glorify God with your voice. And he says that the reason we've all been put together in unity as, as one group is so that we with one voice could glorify God. Now, we believe in glorifying God with your life, right? But I'm going to talk a little bit today about glorifying God with your voice. I don't mean that we all have to sing publicly, sing at the top of our lungs. When I say with your voice, I mean you can speak. I think you all can sing. You all can sing. Why not, right? I was reading a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. It was written by a guy who uh, it was a neuroscientist, but he, before that, he was a, a, a musician and then a sound engineer. And he actually did the engineering for some really famous bands and records. And he went on to neuroscience. You know the old tale. You know how it usually goes. So this guy writes a book. This is your brain on music. And he tells you what's going on in your brain when you're hearing music. He talks about the science of music. Really cool book. But in one of the first chapters, he talks about uh, his friend who was an anthropologist who was studying um, some tribes in Africa and living with them and and learning their culture. And they said to him at one point, they said, you know, they were about to sing, and they said, you sing. And he goes, I don't sing. He said, no, no, what? No, sing. And he goes, I don't sing. And to them, that was the weirdest thing to hear. It was like, like saying to somebody, I don't walk, or I don't talk. Because here in North America, we've built up a culture that says, we've built up a culture of specialists and professionals in every category, right? So you don't sing unless you're really good. But there, you sing because you're a human being, and human beings sing, right? Here we say, oh, I don't sing. What a weird thing to say. You can't sing? I don't sing. And then we will say, I can't sing. And they go, that's impossible. You can't sing. Who says that, you know? That's how, I mean, I, I can't talk. You are right now. I mean, this, everybody has the ability to sing. You may sing off-key and off-tone, but you can sing. And in many cultures all over the world, they just say, we're all going to sing. And it doesn't matter how good you are, let's all sing. And you know, I believe that's the way it should be in the body of Christ. There, I, just, just a little while ago, and this has happened to me several times, standing next to men and women of God that I greatly admire. Some of the best preachers in the world stood next to them during praise and worship. And they may be the best preachers in the world, but they're not the best singers in the world. But it is the coolest thing to stand. I was just at a meeting not long ago, and I was standing next to one of my heroes, and I heard him sing, and it was bad. Oh, it wasn't recordable. But you know what? He sang it out. Full lung sang it out, unashamedly. You know why? Because we were singing praise to God. He wasn't singing. He didn't have a microphone. He wasn't singing to me. He was singing to him. So he let it out, and it was beautiful, and it so encouraged me. That threw me off a little bit during some of the, I'm trying to get the key, but it really excited me to hear him sing like this, because I said, you know, this is what we've been called to do. There's nothing in the, I mean, the scripture talks about the skilled musicians playing, right? Why? Because they're the ones with the instruments in their hand. Don't just put everybody clanging on stuff. God, God, God chose skilled musicians, and he, he chose chose special singers to lead them. But then he says, all of you sing. All of you praise. All of you glorify God. Such a weird thing to say, I don't sing. I imagine Paul and Silas, when they're in the prison, 
Paul, just from reading what Paul has to say, just reading and kind of getting his personality through the book of Acts and through some of those letters, even though the letters were inspired by God, there's that human element. I can almost guarantee he was not a good singer. I can tell. He does not think like a musician. He doesn't talk like one. I, this, now, don't write this down as doctrine. This is just Jonathan, okay? So this is different. This isn't the scripture. Oh, the Lord told Jonathan Paul wasn't a good singer. No, he didn't. This is just me. I can almost guarantee you he wasn't. He, I, I guarantee, well, I can't guarantee you. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. You can throw that out. You don't need to keep it. But here's the deal. He and Silas singing in prison after they just got the, the, the snot beat out of them. Yeah, I, I imagine it might not have been the most beautiful thing. You say, did they sing? Well, the scripture says they were praising God with a loud voice and singing hymns. And the whole prison heard them. Now, how loud do you have to sing hymns for the whole prison to hear you? And tell you what, most of the time when you're trying to sing that loud, it's not that good. But they did, and it was that sound that shook the prison. Oh, God. You say, I, I don't sing. Yeah, you do. You have the ability to lift your voice. It does not have to be professional because nobody's paying you for it. You, we may not even give you a microphone. Don't be offended. We may not give you a microphone. We may give you a microphone and make a secret signal to Barry to cut the sound off of it. But sing. So many of us say, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be to glorify God. We all can do that. You could just simply talk about what he's done. And you know what? As you grow, you'll get enough of the word that even though you may not be called to be a teacher per se, you should have enough word in you that you can, you can give an answer to somebody who asks a question. Thank God. But even if you don't have that yet, you've got enough. He says with one voice, one voice, we all do it together. We glorify God. And we praise Him. It doesn't just mean singing. I use singing as an example because it's something that intimidates us. You know, I think it's wonderful. One of the reasons, there's several reasons that, that I believe the Lord put it on our hearts to have these testimonies every Sunday. And one of them was just to encourage people. Just get, get them built up that God's not just doing something through a select few, that he's doing it through all the people. But I think the other thing is to give you an opportunity to have some boldness and be able to step out of what's comfortable for you and, and, and share and, and lift your voice in praising God. I think that's good for all of us to do. Because we live in... Uh, part of the world that says you have to be a specialist at everything. You have to have a degree. But this is something that as all believers we're meant to do. He says, with one voice, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another. <laughs> and especially if you're standing next to them and their voice is terrible. Accept one another. Just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, of course, he's talking particularly about these Jews and Gentiles being part of the same body. He says, accept one another. You may be different. You may have different styles. You may have different understandings. But accept one another as Christ has accepted you. That's a big statement. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, in other words, to the Jewish people, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, man, he's really hammering in the point. 
praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles hope. So most of us in this room would consider ourselves the Gentiles. In other words, we didn't come from Jewish roots. We were born again out of different nations. But all of us together, Jew or Gentile, we worship God with a loud voice. We praise Him. We sing to Him. We all are meant to do this. And He says, notice, notice in, the, in the New Testament, often Gentiles can be used to mean people that, that weren't of the, of the Jewish heritage. And then at other times it can be used to, to talk about people who are not part of the covenant, right? So really, even though I, I, I can say I'm a Gentile, scripturally, I'm not really a Gentile anymore because I've been accepted into the family, and I'm a seed of Abraham now. I'm an heir according to the promise, and so I really don't identify myself as that anymore. That may be my ancestry, but that's not who I am anymore. My new DNA, my new ancestry, my new heritage is found in the body of Christ. And so when he says, I will praise you among the Gentiles, that's from the book, that's from the book of Psalms. He says, when I, I will praise you among the Gentiles, that means that he's not just doing it in the synagogue. Now, he does say, in several places in the Psalms, it says, I'll praise you in the congregation, right? But then he says, I'll praise you among the Gentiles. I'm going to go out of what I'm comfortable and start talking about how good you are. I'm going to get out of my group of friends and start talking about what you've done loudly, with enthusiasm. That may be all you know. You may be one week into this walk with Jesus. If all you know is I was blind, now I see, I was lost, but now I'm found. And that's enough to glorify God. Boy, that's enough for a life. I want us to look at Mark chapter 5, if we could. Thank God. You know, I... I think we should work our muscles, work our praise and thanksgiving muscles more often. Do it at home. Do it in the shower. Do it, do it, we, you know, talk to each other about it. You know, why is it that we, why is it that we wait till we get to a small group study before we start talking about God with our friends? Isn't that weird? I, I, I know most of you aren't like that, but why, why can't we sit down at coffee, at dinner, and just talk about how good God is. And hey, you can talk about other things too, but I'm going to tell you when, you, get, when you get wrapped up in who He is, when you get filled with the Spirit, it, it's like everything in life ties in to, to, to Him. Every, he's in everything. You see Him in everything. And so, I mean, I knew this, we found this out when I really, when I got really turned on to Jesus, I found that when we were talking about snowboarding, God's in it. When we were talking about music and guitars, God was in it. Like, it, it, it was in everything. He was in everything. And so, you know, it's, it's not, I, I think this is something you can work out. I think this is something we, we do at church and we give you an opportunity to do. I remember my dad when he was a pastor, when pastor uh, you know, he'd be at the end of a service and he'd say, oh, let's praise the Lord together. Let's just begin to praise God. And if you remember, the first couple times he did that, most people lasted about five seconds. And some just began to just amen what they heard somebody else doing. Yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then some of them just kind of uh, started praying in the Holy Spirit. But you know, what we were told to do was to praise God and thank Him. The more we did that, and it got awkward at times because 
you know, you kind of run out of things you can think of. And you're, whether you want to or not, you're often conscious of the person next to you. And you're, you're saying, boy, what I'm saying sounds stupid. It doesn't sound as sophisticated as what they're saying. They're using fancy biblical words. And I'm just saying, thank you, Jesus. You saved me, you know. And we've got to learn to turn that off, of course. But what I loved about it was that, I mean, it started out like we could last like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. I got to a point where we could last five minutes, ten minutes, just praising God. You know why? Because it forces you to dig and, and say, what, what has he done for me? And he's done a lot in every one of our lives. He's done enough to, to take up a whole service. And so when you dig in there and you begin to thank God, you begin to work that out. You begin to train your mouth to praise. And you train your mouth to be thankful and your heart to be thankful. And I found that when we started doing that regularly, it came out at strange times during the day. I just begin to thank God. Just because you train yourself to be thankful. You train yourself to be a praiser. And, and, and it's a powerful thing. In Mark chapter 5, we're going to read about the Gerasene demoniac. It says in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea into the, couch, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, Immediately, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. That's one thing you never want to hear. The man from the tombs is here, right? I've never met anybody that could be described as the man from the tombs. The man from the tombs came out with an unclean spirit. Met him, I guess so. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain. Hmm. Ushers stopped this guy at the door. Crazy guy, crazy naked guy. We find out he, you know what, one of the things that shocked people when, he, when Jesus delivered him was that he was wearing clothes. So, crazy naked guy, living in the tombs, who's too strong for a chain to hold him. Where do we sign up, right? Let's invite him over to our house. Crazy naked man had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. That's tough, isn't it? Here's, here's the response of society. Society responds to this man by saying, let's bind him up. Jesus responds to this man and says, let's set him free. It's a big thing. You know, this is why we're excited about Arlene going to the Thorpe Center. It's why, why we're supporting ministries that go into the prisons, because society says, I can't deal with you. We just need to keep you locked up. Jesus says, you're already being oppressed and bound. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to see you set free. We want to see you delivered. This man has been cutting himself and screaming. Can you imagine what kind of torment this man is in? What kind of torment he's in? And I want you to be honest with yourself. Most of us would not feel comfortable living in a town next to somebody like this. You wouldn't let your kids near the, the tombs. You'd be very frightened. You, you probably messed up a few funerals. <laughs> probably was awkward trying to put somebody in the ground with this guy around. It's not something we want to see when we're burying grandma. 
crazy naked man screaming, cutting himself. But Jesus saw the man inside the man, saw what other people didn't see. In verse 6, what happens is this man runs and throws himself. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. You and I know that this man had never met Jesus. He didn't know his name. Who knew Jesus' name? The demons inside this guy knew Jesus' name. This man had never met Jesus. He didn't know who he was. These guys just got off the boat. They didn't preach in Decapolis. They got off the boat, and this man runs to him, bows down, because even demons have to bow at the feet of Jesus. And he says, what are you doing here? What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. He began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, because, of course, under the law at the time, you weren't supposed to be raising pigs. Oh, it's okay if a little <laughs> they go in the water. And I, I'm sure, I wonder if Jesus had a smirk on his face here. The demons just thought, you know, if we can just go on these pigs till he goes away, we'll go and bother somebody again. And, of course, these pigs go kamikaze into the water. The very thing that these demons were afraid of is that they'd have to go back to the abyss end up having to go back anyway. This is about 2,000 of them. Oh my goodness. The unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them and they were drowned in the sea. In verse 14 it says this, their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind. Wow. Look what Jesus did. Isn't it amazing? Somebody there, somebody had to give this man some clothes. I don't know if they carried an extra set. Maybe the disciples are used to being on the road, but I'm, I'm sure they didn't bring these rolling suitcases. Uh, they probably only had very little. Somebody gave this man something to wear. He's clothed in his right mind, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Crazy naked guy who lives in the graveyard cuts himself and screams, they're freaked out because he's clothed and sitting down. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Come on, guys, what freaks you out is this guy behaving? What freaks you out is he's wearing clothes now? We have a strange idea of what's, what's frightening. But they were frightening because they, they were frightened because they realized that Jesus had a power that went beyond their chains, that Jesus had a power... That was, that was far beyond anything they'd ever seen. And so they're frightened by it. They don't know what to think about it. And those that had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, because that's the fun part. And they began to implore him to leave their region. Can you believe that? Jesus cures this crazy guy. And when I say crazy, I've never met anybody this crazy. Jesus heals the man, delivers the man, 
and they're begging Jesus to leave. They'd rather have crazy naked guy in the tombs where he belongs than have a man delivered. Isn't that amazing? They beg Jesus to leave because they're, they're frightened by the power that he has. They want him to get out of there. They, they implore him to leave their region. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him, begging him that he might accompany him. I can imagine, right? Because if the kind of, these are, these people here that, that are now surrounding him, this city now that he's going to have to live in, are the same people that were probably very hurtful to him. They probably weren't nice when they were trying to chain him up. They were probably very violent with him, very, very hurtful, very hateful towards him. And he's having to look these people in the eye. And they're not the kind of people, they're not like Jesus' disciples that say, thank God you're delivered. They're so frightened by it that they beg Jesus to leave. Would you want to stay behind in that village? That city? I, I wouldn't either. So he begs Jesus, can I come with you? I mean, the other disciples said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, I'd want to go with Jesus too. In verse 19, he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Wow. And he went away. He was obedient. He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is a big thing. You got to realize this. This is the city that kicked Jesus out. This is the part of the. This is the region that kicked Jesus out. Put him back on the boat. Send him. Send him away. And this man has no biblical training. Has no rabbinical school in, under his belt has got nothing going for him except he knows this, I was crazy, I was oppressed, and this man set me free. And that's all he knows. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Master, sends him as a missionary to a city. With that. With just that. He doesn't say, well, you have, you have to you have, come with me for a while. Stay in the boat for a while. Maybe six months and you'll be ready to go back and talk to these people. No, this man had enough. Now, could he teach them and, and, and tell them all of the prophecies about the Messiah? No, not yet. He wasn't there yet. What he did know is I was oppressed and now I'm free. I was enslaved and now I've been delivered. I was crazy and I'm in my right mind. I was naked and I'm clothed. Jesus did this for me. Notice that it says all the things Jesus had done for him. You know, what Jesus did to that man in, in, in a matter of minutes or hours, I don't know. But in that short period of time, what Jesus did for that man was more than just one thing. It was all these things that Jesus did for him. He says, go back to your people and tell them what I've done. And the man, thank God, did it. What else? What do you have to be embarrassed about now? These guys have all seen you naked. They've seen you live in a graveyard screaming at the top of your lungs. You got nothing to lose, right? There's no dignity left to lose. So he goes back, and he goes back to those same people that hurt him, hated him, chained him, beat him, and he tells them what Jesus did. And he tells them his story, because that's all he's got. Thank God. And Jesus 
Jesus trusts this man with the ministry and the mission to the powerless. Because where they kicked Jesus out, this guy was allowed to stay. And he carried the message of Jesus with him. Now, anybody in this room less qualified than that? Anybody? Because I'd like to hear your story. Anybody less qualified? Now, I'm not telling you you have to start a school. I'm not telling you you have to pastor a church. Right? I'm telling you, you've got enough to tell people how good Jesus is. I'm telling you, you've got enough for your testimony to bring glory to God. You've got enough for that. You can pass them up the chain if you've run out of all the things you know. Pass them off. That's okay. But don't let this silence you to live in a land where we have specialists and people that went to school for something. Thank God for school. I like school. School is good. But school was not meant to be a limiter to everybody else. You should only go if God told you to go. You don't go because you need some approval from somebody. Right? We limit ourselves and we tell ourselves somebody else is more qualified than me. But all of us in this room have certain people that know us better than other people, have certain people that we come in contact more than other people, and you're more qualified to reach them than anybody else in the room. Do you know the most qualified person is the person that's there? You know what I mean? The most qualified person is the person that's just there and is available. We wait for a specialist to come along. You know, in Loon Lake, There was a lot of demonic oppression because of, the, because of the, some of the things that, that had been done to, to invite, the, invite these spirits in. There was rituals that had taken place. There was, even, even in a modern sense, there was music and movies that should never have been in the house. There was just people that were very open to the supernatural but didn't know any better and, and really invited all sorts of things in. And there's been plenty of times where you'd be invited over to somebody's house and you'd say, I'm seeing weird things. There's things all over. Can you come? and pray over my house, and you'd go and you'd minister to them. But when believers started to say things, like when believers would say, would you come and you cast out evil spirits, or would you come and do this? I'm more than willing, and I know I'm able through Jesus Christ. But it got to a point where you had to say, listen, you've got the anointing. You've got the name of Jesus. And if, if you just need to keep calling me to come over, you're never going to have complete victory over this. You, and so I've done it several times. I don't do it to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, but when someone knows Jesus, and they say, you come to my house, and can you pray over my, my house? Can you cast these spirits? I, I look at them in the eyes, and I say, you go back, and you do it. It's your house. It's your family, and you've got the name of Jesus. You've got the authority in this place. You tell them to leave. Because as long as you have to have me coming back, you'll have to wait till I get there. You need to take authority. We wait for the specialists to come and fix all our problems. Thank God. You know what? I know who I am. I am a pastor. I've been called a pastor. There are certain things a pastor should and can do. But there's other things that as believers, we can't just pass the buck and say, well, as somebody who's a professional believer, there are no such things as professional believers. There are just believers. Thank God. This man, all he knew was I was bound and now I'm free. Go tell that story to your people. 
Thank God you've got a sword in your hand. There's a time for teaching. When people get born again, they need to be discipled. Before that happens, they've got to hear about Jesus. They've got to hear about the good things he's done. I love in the triumphant entry. In fact, look in Luke 19 for a minute. When Jesus went into Jerusalem, we've talked about this before. Most of you who have been coming to this church have heard me talk about this before, how Jerusalem was hostile to Jesus and to his disciples. Jerusalem, they're either hostile or indifferent. If they knew about Jesus, they hated him. If they didn't, they, they just had no idea who he was. But along the time when Jesus enters, it was the time of the great feast, of course, and so many people had come from the rural areas and, and outlying regions had come to Jerusalem. So there was a group of people that knew Jesus from his ministry, and there was a group of people following Jesus into the city. And what happens in Luke 19, and we'll start in verse 37. As soon as he was approaching Jesus, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, so he starts coming down the mountain. He's coming down, down the mountain. He starts coming down the mountain. The whole crowd of the disciples, this is more than the 12, this is all of these people. And you know his group swelled when Lazarus was risen from the dead. His followers just really grew. And the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. Do you know the difference between praising God publicly and teaching publicly? There's a big difference. Teaching, can, you can praise God through teaching, but they're not trying to give a, le a Bible lesson here. They're praising God. What do you do when you praise God? You, yeah, you talk about Him. You sing, you shout, sure. What are you singing about? What are you shouting about? What He's done. You look at the Psalms, the praise that they give. You praise Him for who He is and for what He's done. You notice when we sing songs in church, there are songs of praise and there are songs of worship. The songs of worship are directed to Him. Uh, you're just, it's just you and Jesus, and you're worshiping Him for who He is. But the songs of praise are often talking about Him in the sanctuary, amongst the congregation. You know, let, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And He began to talk about how great and mighty and good He is. And it says here, it, if you want to know how they praised God, if you want to know what they were talking about, here's, here, it tells us right here. It says they began to praise God joyfully. That's a big thing, isn't it? With a loud voice. There's a big thing. We talked about this in men's group a few weeks ago, how you can't possibly say something with a loud voice and be neutral about it. <laughs> I've heard people say, is God hard of hearing? He hears you. Oh, yeah, he is. He hears you. Of course he does. But something changes when you get the guts to yell. Ask a soldier. Ask an athlete. Something changes when you yell, when you shout. Something changes, not just in the atmosphere. Sometimes we get so spiritual that we say things change in the atmosphere. They do. But you know, the number one change starts with you. Because I can't be passive and raise my voice at the same time. It breaks you out of this apathy and, and just kind of just 
this laziness. It breaks you out of it. And many of us, that was the thing that finally set us free, was having the guts to shout. It was the thing that set us free from the fear of people and from that, that shell that we felt we were in the whole time, just when you finally can raise your voice. And it says this, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for what? All the miracles which they had seen. They're not having to give everybody a, a, a hermeneutics lesson. They're not having to tell everybody the history. They're not even having to tell everybody about all the prophecies about the Messiah. They may not know those prophecies. Some of them do, some of them don't. And there's going to be a time to talk about those prophecies. But right now, the time is for them just to talk about the miracles they've seen. That's all they have to talk about. Loudly, joyfully. Talk about what you've seen. Talk about what you've heard. John the Baptist sent disciples, when he was in prison, he sent disciples to Jesus and he said, are you the one or should we wait for another? He was offended because he thought the world had forgotten about him. He was in prison. Herod had put him in prison. He's going to get his head chopped off. And he figures that Jesus has just kind of forgot about him. He says, are you the one or should we wait for another? Jesus says to his disciples, go back and tell John what you've seen. The lame walk, the blind see. What do you think? These works are testifying about who he is. They're confirming who he is. Do you know when you see the word signs and wonders, or just signs, in the Gospels, do you know what that means? Signs? So we, we go, well, that's a miracle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the word signs is very specific. When we read it in the New Testament, it means an attesting miracle, which means it's a miracle that confirms who he is, that confirms something, that proves something. It's an attesting miracle, which means it's, it's going to preach on its own. It's a miracle that says, he says he's the healer, and this miracle proved it. He says he's the Messiah, and this wonder proved it. They saw many signs. Doesn't, doesn't just mean miracles. There's a word for miracles, and there's a word for signs. And signs means it was proving something to the world. Thank God. Jesus said, if you don't believe me because of what I say, at least believe the works. So they start talking about what they've seen. What Jesus has done. And everybody in the room, if you've been born again, you've got one. And that's a big one. And I bet most of you have seen something else. And had other things. Verse 39. Those who were yelling and shouting. Did I say verse 39? Did I just skip? I'm sorry. Go back. Verse 38, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Shut them up. So there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like what you're saying. That doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. I want to read you something. I want to read you a little bit from John 12 of the same story. It says in verse 17, John 12, 17. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. 
For this reason also, the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So there are people in the crowd that have only seen one miracle, but it's a big one. And because of that one miracle, there were people coming out of Jerusalem to meet him on the road. I mean, people that were so excited, they, they knew Jesus was coming their direction. Have you ever been at a parade with a little kid? And the little kid's like, when am I going to get here? You know, got a favorite float coming, and they're, they're itching. At, and they want to run to the float, right? They want to run to meet it. And you go, you just stay here. We got a good spot. Maybe they'll throw some candy. I don't know if they still let them do that. But maybe they'll give you some candy or something. And so, the, you know, the, the kids are just kind of anxious, and they're jumping, and they can't wait. If you have, I mean, I remember being at Disneyland. If you, you want to see kids do that, Disneyland. The Disneyland parade. They all have their favorite character. And when that character's coming down, they don't want to wait while that character dances gleefully and spends 10 minutes getting to them. They want to go out and meet them. And you have to hold them so that they don't go anywhere, right? Well, can you imagine these people knew that Jesus was coming into the city, but they didn't want to wait. They ran out to meet him. Why? Because they heard of one miracle. Because all the, the people that, that knew that were there for Lazarus, that's all they knew. Lazarus was dead. And then he was dead for four days. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, and he was like a mummy, and we had to unwrap him. And he, was, it was, and he smelled it first, but then he got better. And then, you know, he came out, and, and, and he's good now. He's still around. He's somewhere here. Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Okay, he's back there. And so they tell this story. And all they know is one story. And all the people hear is one story. And it's enough to get them to come out and run and who said you weren't qualified? Who said you didn't know enough? Now grow, study in the Word. Grow in the things of God so that you'll have more and more because this Word will set you free. It'll give you life and it'll set other people free. Get to know the Word. Dig into the Word. Don't be lazy. But if all you know right now is one thing, start with that one thing. And if you have to say, I don't know the answer to your question, <laughs> go to that person. That's okay. People get that. You know what they don't like? People making up answers. I don't like it either. You can always tell when a parent is making up an answer. You can always tell when somebody's making up an answer they don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. Jesus is not the one telling these people to shut up. It's the Pharisees. In fact, when Jesus is told to tell them to shut up, he says, if they don't do this, rocks will cry out. They have to do this. I must be announced. I must be proclaimed. I must be glorified. You know enough. I could go through story after story. The blind man who's been born blind but can now see. He doesn't even know who healed him. Because Jesus healed him and sent him away to wash because he, he Jesus laid his hands on him, or put, put mud in his eye, and, and then told him to go wash his eyes. So they, he never saw who healed him. He just kind of, he heard him. He never saw his face. And immediately the man's healed and dragged in front of a court because he got healed. <laughs> That's a rude awakening. And the court says, who heals you? He goes, mm, I don't know who he was. I mean, I know he's Jesus. 
I don't know. He said, by what authority did he heal you? Uh, what was he? He goes, all I know is I was blind and now I see. So they call his parents in. His parents don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. So they go, you ask him, he's old enough. <laughs> because if he says the magic words, this man is the Christ, he's booted out of the synagogue. And in the end, he got booted out of the synagogue. And you know who came and introduced himself? First guy to introduce himself after he gets booted out? Jesus. You know who I am? Uh, I don't know who you are. I'm the guy who heals you. You believe I'm a Christ? There's his story. All he knew, he gets dragged in front of court, and, and all he knows is I was blind and now I see. And that was enough. It's enough to get him kicked out. If it's enough to get you kicked out, it's probably, probably good enough to get somebody saved. <laughs> Thank God. Don't go beyond what you know. Don't try to be somebody who you're not. Grow in the things of God. Study to show yourself a you know me. Nobody has ever accused me of not being a word. I love the word. I love getting in it. I love teaching the word. I want you to get into the word. What I don't want you to do is get to this place where you live in a world of specialists, and you live in a world of professionals, and you discount yourself from being worthy to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because you don't know enough. You know enough to glorify God. We know enough to glorify God with one voice. If all you've got is your testimony, that's a lot. I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. I was bound and now I'm free. I may not be able to tell you more than that, but I will. Give me a chance. You know, I found the people that get turned on to Jesus and are radically saved. They're digging into the Word like it was a dying man digging into bread. They tend to find out pretty quick who Jesus is. If you're hungry, you grow quick. Start where you are. I found the greatest way to stay hungry is to share what you do. It really is. Because as long as you're hearing the word and never doing anything with it, you're getting bloated, and you'll find that you're not hungry for the word anymore. Why? Because you're not using what you have. Use what you have. And then go get more. Pull up to the table. Find more. Dig into the word at night so you'll have something to say in the day. Tell people who Jesus is. Tell them what he's done for you. Tell them about the miracles. We're talking about praising God publicly. Do you know we've used praise in music so much that sometimes we think praise is just music. Same thing with worship. We've used worship with music. We think worship is music, but worship is a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. And praise are the words you say that glorify God. They don't have to be a song. They just have to be words that talk about what he's done and who he is. And we all can do that. And we all can sing to him. Thank God. Shake off the chains of tradition. Shake off the chains of Western civilization that teach you that you have to have a degree to be somebody. And just be bold. Be thankful and grateful for what Jesus has done. Get off of your feet and shout sometime about what he's done for you and make a fool of yourself because it's okay to be a fool for Jesus because what he says is wise, the world calls foolishness, but he calls their wisdom foolishness. And he's, there. I mean, in his, he's the wisest, he's wiser than any wisdom we've ever encountered. He's the wisest of the wise. He's the beginning of wisdom. And so 
Would you rather look smart to God or would you rather look smart to the world? Would you rather look civilized to the world? Would you rather be, be, be part of his family? Would you rather have him like what you're doing? Would you rather be pleasing to God or would you rather be pleasing to people? Much rather be pleasing to God, right? Amen. We've got something to praise God about. And every day of your life, if you're thankful, if you're grateful, you're going to find that every day of your life you've got something new to share. People kind of get tired of the same old thing every day. The gospel never gets old. You can say that every day and it's still good, right? But you know what? If God's doing something in your life, talk about it. Talk about it not just with your Christian friends, but your unsaved friends. Right? They need to hear it. They need to know that Jesus is real. They need to know above all that he's alive. This is the reality that I'm left with. This is the reality that lives with us every day. The world is not aware that Jesus is alive. We talk to them. And those that know anything about him talk as if he's a dead historical figure. You and I know this isn't going to be true. And he's dead. We've got some explaining to do. Because there's been some stuff happening that can't be explained. He's alive. The world needs to know, not that just that he was a good man when he lived, not just I mean, when he walked the earth. They need to know he's alive right now. They need to know it by what you say and what you do, and they need signs and wonders and miracles proving it, too. And they'll have it. Talk about what you know. Talk about what you've seen and heard. Glorify God. Praise Him publicly. Praise Him loudly. He deserves all of it. Amen.